Welcome to the Duke and Duchess podcast. Welcome back. My name is Chad. I'm Liz. And we are here in episode 104, where we will be reading Brandon Sanderson's Oathbringer, chapters 13 through 20. On our next book club, we'll be reading chapters 21 through 28. So jot that down. Our spoiler policy is that Liz has read all of these books, and in fact, everything in the Cosmere, while I have read nothing other than the books we've already read in this series. So I have not been spoiled on anything that's going to happen. So we will not spoil you on anything that happens past Chapter 20 of Oathbringer in the Stormlight Archive. We may discuss other things that are not plot-relevant from other Cosmere-related books, but we will not spoil any plot elements for any of Brandon Sanderson's works. I mean, we're coming up after this book. You'll be caught up on the Stormlight Archives anyway. I can't wait. (laughs) Well, let's get into the chapters. Chapter 13 is called Chaperone. Shallan and Adolin have dinner in her bedroom together. Alone. Well, not quite alone. Pattern agrees to be their chaperone, and he does a bang-up job of it. So this is the funniest chapter, I think. It's cute. It, it's it's hilarious. It's definitely cute. This is, is definitely one that won me over in this book. So we start out with, well, first of all, I thought it was interesting that Shallan asked to be moved to Sabariel's part of the tower. And in this first couple of chapters, we have highlighted again how uncomfortable Shallan is with the tower itself. There's something not just about being hemmed in with so many people, but about the tower itself that just wigs her out. Well, and I think we have to, because obviously I don't know a great deal about it, but I think you you almost, it leads me to want to trust her sort of intuition when you've established this as a character who has a really, really in-tune sense with nature and In any environment she's been in, she's constantly observing rock formations and things and looking at things and finding beauty. Uh, So I sort of trust her ability to infer things from her surroundings. If she's not, if she feels that this is a weird, unusual, perhaps dangerous place, I think I'm going to trust her. I agree. And I think it's very in keeping with this character who was raised in this abusive controlling household that she is has developed this almost sixth sense when it comes to danger or something not being right around her yeah so shallan is chilling in in her room in sabariel's house and adolin bursts in because he knocks and she's you know she's like come in thinking he's someone else and, mm-hmm. and it's this little cute like you can't see my hand. My Get out. Hand. What are you doing? You Not knock like hand. a girl. <laughs> so she says, yeah. your knock was feminine. <laughs> so I thought it was cute to see the back and forth with Shalon and Adolin, but Adolin gives it back a little bit. Yeah. 
to her when he says, I don't think we should be here alone. She says, well, there's someone else in here. And he says, well, I don't think your ego counts as a third person, Shalon. <laughs> and I like fist pumped when I read that because there's, you know, so far their relationship has been Shalon being like, oh, poor dumb Adolin. Yeah. Roast master Shalon. And then Pattern comes in there and he's like, hands above the waist, brother. <laughs> I see what you're doing. <laughs> There'll be no mating in my presence. No mating. I mean, that's no definitely. It's the line of the section. The line of the section for no mating. sure. <laughs> no mating. Like bad dog. Just takes out a newspaper. That. You have teenage or almost teenage daughters. Just saying. I also have a teenage son. Yeah. And we're and we're get ready. actively finishing our basement, a secluded, quiet spot out of the outside of prying eyes. I, I may have asked the contractor if we could get some of those spikes that they put, <laughs> like on, for cars when they go the wrong yeah, way. Yeah, exactly. Can we just put those on every flat? Yeah, the spikes that'll like pop your tires when you yeah, yeah. when you try to run away from the the par- the paid parking lot. This is why I wish we had like a like almost dune level of technology. So instead of like poison sniffers, I could have like blue ball sniffers. <laughs> just like, Oh, we're getting derailed. I could just detect the presence of an erection anywhere within 50 <laughs> yards. I really don't think you want that. I really think ignorance <laughs> is going to be our best defense over the next 10 years. I mean, okay. Just saying. I just, I'm <laughs> I'm not ready for grandbabies, is what I'm, <laughs> what I'm saying. Anyway, yes, no mating. Hands up on the waist, it's brother. It's hilarious. No mating. No mating. He's, he takes a little squirt bottle with water in it. Squirt. <laughs> you too. Bring it up. There's some nice relationship development stuff that happens in this scene, though. Shalon tells Adolin about Capsule, you know, basically to tell him that the bar is pretty low. Yeah, <laughs> my one and only boyfriend ever out. You know, tried to kill me with a loaf of poison bread. Well, the other thing I thought was interesting is Adolin gives a little bit of an indication of sort of, you know, he he start they start talking about the murder, and Shalana's is like, oh, poor dumb Adolin mm-hmm. again, falling for the classic trap, and he's giving too much away. Like, why would he so strongly insist? That there were two murderers. Mm-hmm. There's no reasonable reason to think that from mm-hmm. outside. You know, he's the only one who knows there isn't. And his insistence that there's two murderers is a, is a foolish thing to do. Mm-hmm. It's interesting because Adolin is that when you compare. Now, these are, are two characters now that both have a secret. Shalon is very good at keeping secrets. In fact, it's uncomfortable for her to not have a secret. And she still has a huge thing that she's kept from Adolin in that he she has not even told him about the full extent of her powers or that she's walking around moonlighting as uh, a ghost blood a ghost draining blood. or whatever. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. So but to her, that's like not even well, a blip. She told Kaladin about her parents to a degree, but she didn't tell Adolin. No, she didn't. 
Now, Adolin obviously is having such a hard time keeping the secret that it's almost like he wants to get caught. Yeah, it is. Yeah, very much so. Chapter 14 is called Squires Can't Capture. Kaladin sneaks up on a group of Voidbringers, and he finds them playing cards badly. They're not the fearsome individuals Kaladin expected them to be. In fact, they are so pathetic that Kaladin can't bring himself to attack them. When his hiding place is discovered by the Parchman's strange yellow spren, he surrenders to them. So, plot twist. The Parshendi are not what we would have expected. At least not this group. Right, and they, they don't seem to be in storm form. No. But they are in a different form. They're not in the slave form or the dull form that we saw before. Correct. So something, some sort of additional form or something has awoken, but we don't really know what it is. We do know that there is a strange spren following them around. Yeah, what's up with that spren? I don't know. That's exactly what my question on here is. What's up with that strange spren? <laughs> All the other spren we've seen affiliated with like void spren have been like, red and yeah. ominous looking and this one doesn't appear that way at all mm-hmm. it doesn't mean it's not a void spren but mm-hmm. it's uh, it's just something different uh interesting that kaladin sees it but does not identify it so it's not like he says oh that's a hope spren or that's a mm-hmm. you know marriage spren or that's a horny teenager spren or mm-hmm. you know it, they always define them by what they are but he doesn't Leads me to believe it's probably a void spren. Mm-hmm. And what we see in a later chapter that Syl does not recognize that spren either. So I thought the title of the cap of the chapter, and they all have some kind of significance, but I thought it was particularly interesting. The idea that squires can't capture. So when Kaladin is sneaking up on them, he's watching the parchment are arguing about whether or not a squire card can capture mm-hmm. another card in the game. And they're, the one is saying, you know, I, I can't believe I don't know this. You know, how many hours did I stand there and watch my masters play this game? And I, I don't still don't know the rules. Yeah. But I thought it was interesting that in the title refers to a move in the card game, but also the idea that the, the rules have changed for the Parshendi. You know, they're thrown into a new game. None of them know how to play. No, yeah. And they're all just, it's, it's, um... It's a very uncertain time for them, and it's uncertain for Kaladin, too, because all of a sudden, the rules seem to be changing for him as well. You know, he was expecting a a fearsome enemy, and he finds, like, a camp with children that that reminds him of the slaves that he used to try to escape with. Yeah, it's interesting, because one of the things we've talked a lot about in this podcast, although not much recently, because we haven't had much cause to— are the concepts of stories within a stories, which I've said in the past, always one of my favorite things um, because they're just useful literary devices. I, I I really enjoy that. So we don't have here a story within a story, but we have another really useful literary metaphor of the game. And I think that's probably more, even more appropriate in a Brandon Sanderson novel, who I think of his writing style as being more more game-like and rule-based and, world, you know, less emphasizing of the narrative than some other authors like Patrick Rothfuss, right? Mm-hmm. But, yeah, it's you have these characters who have been released from their slave forms, and they find themselves 
you know, in a unusual situation where they don't know the rules, nobody understands how the board is laid out, and and the game is the metaphor for that. So I thought that was a really interesting device. Yep. Chapter 15 is called Brightness Radiant. Shalan and Adolin are working to solve the murders. Badly. Yeah. <laughs> Adolin wants to train Shalan in how to use her shard blade, but she's still hung up on the whole I use this sword to kill my mother thing. Just thinking about the blade causes a panic attack. She escapes into another persona, who she calls Brightness Radiant, who she feels will be able to handle the trauma. So right before this chapter, there's a drawing of the tunnel as Shalon, one of the tunnels. It's just freaky looking. It is very, yeah, very weird. So one thing I thought was funny is at the beginning of this chapter, there's a moment where um, she looks out and Adolin is just standing there killing time, but he's throwing around a little sack full of rice or something. He's basically standing there playing as if you didn't get... The, yeah, that Adolin that dude, was a bro. total dude, bro. <laughs> I got fourteen hacks, yo. Standing there playing hacky sack. <laughs> Gonna eat my vitamins, say my prayers, and play hacky sack, <laughs> dude, bro. So this is this chapter is very sad to me. Mm. This sort of and this character, this persona of like, I wanted to be like me, but just not having to deal with all my bullshit past. Like, mm-hmm. let me make this sort of public-facing persona that everyone's going to think is me. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's that's some textbook straight out of the DSM maladjusted mental health behaviors. Mm-hmm. I mean... Yeah, and again, this is one of the things about this book that I find so interesting is that Brandon Sanderson explores this idea of people with fractured mental or mental health issues what if they were given supernatural powers that interacted with those issues and we see this in Shalon this need for her to escape who she is to become someone else and able to cope but she's actually able to literally make an image and, and become a different person it's an interesting exploration of the entire Mm-hmm. phenomenon of um whether it's dissociative identity or, or whatever this is a, a, an alien planet so those yeah, yeah, yeah exactly those labels don't really apply right. but something yeah. close to that and well and obviously what we like about these stories is how they reflect on us exactly so i we, I, I did think it was particularly interesting when she talks about how she allows herself to be shallan in some of the moments that she feels relaxed, but then if when she gets too near a painful or traumatic feeling or memory, she would escape back into this other persona. Which is giving control to neither persona. It's making some third party self, mm-hmm. which says you can be yourself, you cannot be yourself. It, mm-hmm. So that I mean that's that's the sort of insidious fracturing part mm-hmm. there. It's like I allow myself to be Shalon. Which indicates that whoever's making that decision isn't you. Mm-hmm. It's, it's getting it's getting hinky <laughs> in sh- up in Shalon's old brain. As long as it doesn't get hinkly. <laughs> right, we all, we also had a sad poor Adolin. Another sad dude bro moment where he's talking about 
He's excited about training Shallan with the mm-hmm. Shardblade. Yeah. And obviously, it's very unconventional. It's unheard of for a woman to have a Shardblade. But then he's like, but then I figured if the peasant Dark Eyes could have one, <laughs> maybe you could have one too. I mean, if we're going to let the help have one. And Shallan is just like, ugh. <laughs> okay. So two steps forward, one step back with this character. There's a lot of woke, unwoke dynamics mm-hmm. going on in this section. Mm-hmm. Yeah, agreed. We see in this section too, as well a lot more of Adolin's sort of almost trying to get caught. Yeah. You know, his his unwillingness to just get away with this murder. So I thought that that's kind of interesting too. Interesting way to put it. I, I mean, <laughs> I don't know how else you would explain it. Yeah. He's, he's literally been handed the the best out, and he's he can't seem to just let it go. No, he's definitely self-sabotaging. Mm-hmm. It's several different steps. It's like, dude, you stabbed a guy in the eyeball. Like, Yeah, either like either like confess or, yeah. or make a decision that yeah. you're not. But of course, I, I I do think if Adolin did, well, particularly if Adolin was like, "Fuck this, I'm getting, I'm not, I'm getting away," mm-hmm. I think that would and just made that decision cold, mm-hmm. and I think I think that would be not very in keeping with his character. I, I agree. could see him confessing right away, mm-hmm. or I could see him doing what he's doing, which yeah. is struggling with yeah. it. So it's kind of painful to read. Mm-hmm but also what you would expect from the character. I agree. There's an interesting part, too, where Shallan is kind of musing about the contrast between how flippantly the Alethi approach their actual religion, but how much reverence they hold for their traditions and their superstitions. It's a very insightful commentary. Definitely could read that into some of the religions that we have in our world as well. And it does a particularly good job of setting up the themes that are important in the next chapter, I thought. Yeah, yeah. Chapter 16 is called Wrapped Three Times. Dalinar grapples with his plans regarding Odium. The Stormfather is not as helpful as one would hope. He's also grappling with his Ardents, who are pissed off about his claim that the Almighty is dead. He meets with the Iriali Queen via Spanreed. She insists that Dalinar return Adolin's Shardblade, which she claims was stolen from her people. As Dalinar and Navani discuss this latest development, she uses his ex-wife's name, and Dalinar can actually hear it. Yeah, now this is the chapter that has most of my notes in mm-hmm. it, uh, because there's a, there's a lot. There's a lot to unpack in this chapter. Yeah, For definitely. sure, Absolutely. So I think the the obvious one, the thing that everything ends with, is the idea that Dalinar can now hear his wife's name, but there's no, there's nothing I can see that has changed in sort of like what's been going on, or around the spread, or anything like that, mm-hmm. that seems to to give you reason as to think as to why that would be there, right. you know, there's nothing that seems evident as to why it was the night watcher who sort of, 
gave this uh, boon or whatever you want to consider. I don't know if that was the boon, but but it's because of the Night Watcher that he couldn't hear her name. Mm-hmm. I don't. We have no evidence to think that whatever the Night Watcher does can be undone or mm-hmm. can be taken away, mm-hmm. or that the Night Watcher's involved at all. Mm-hmm. Now the only the only potential thing I can think that has changed, and this is unclear. Because it's not, a, I'm not 100% certain how long they've been in Eurothiru, mm-hmm. but it seems like they've been there a while, like mm-hmm. a month or so, something like something that. Something like that. Is it conceivable that that's the first time anyone said her name since they've been there? It's possible. Is it that the Night Watchers' effects don't take place in Eurothiru? Mm, that's a good thought. If it is, then it'll be. Very interesting when Teravangian shows up. Mm-hmm. I like the way you think. I do love all the mentions of Teravangian as just offhandedly, you know, being like that dimwit Teravangian. Oh. Like Dalinar is kind of feeling sorry for himself that none of the world leaders want to talk to him. He's yeah. like, except for that dumbass over there. Yeah, right. Who's going to completely mentally dominate you. Playing. <laughs> right. You're over here playing chubby checkers. <laughs> I'm playing chubby chess. <laughs> Exactly. So, uh, the other so the other thing is we have a conversation with the Stormfather. Yes. About Odium. Yes. And you know a couple of interesting things come from that. The first of which is that Odium is bound by oaths that still has to play by some of these same rules that everybody else seems to have to play by. So that's a very interesting thing to note and sort of file away. Uh, the other thing is that that conversation about how to best beat Odium reminds me very much of the Wheel of Time. Mm. Like the idea that sometimes he wins and it comes like the mm-hmm. cyclical nature of mm-hmm. of winning and defeating and why is it going to be in the Desolations and why is it going to mm. be different this time? So these plot, all of this plot stuff around the Desolations and Odium, it, it reminds me very much of the Wheel of Time. Mm-hmm. I thought it was interesting. Stormfather says of Odium, the power of ancient Adonalsium permeates him and controls him. Odium is a force like pressure, gravitation, or the movement of time. Those things have to obey their nature as well. It's like entropy. And we've heard that word, Adonalsium, before. We've heard Adonalsium a few times. Do you remember... I don't know. No. I mean, I, re- I remember hearing it. I think one of the, I think the, um, is it Marais was one of the first ones to, to bring it up, I think. I'm not sure, but I, I do know that there was a scene where Wit is talking to Dalinar and mm. he just kind of goes, Adenalsium. Yeah. And then right. like watches to see if Dalinar reacts and then he doesn't. And he's like, never mind. So it's that interesting way of probing. Yeah, yeah. What Dalinar knows. Well, it seems like Adonalsium is some sort of like foundational element or rule of the universe mm-hmm. as it relates to all of this, you know. Mm-hmm. Again, and this is this is the this is where that starts to get frustrating to me. Mm-hmm. Because Brandon Sanderson continues to put these sort of like layers and elements and all and and put all this stuff together like some like make believe narrative science experiment but 
there's too many sort of, for me, it's hard to retain mm-hmm. because it's not coming from a place where it's motivated by the narrative. It seems to be very heavily motivated by the science experiment that he's putting together. I feel like it's more about his world building and his rules than it is about all the characters he's putting in in the play. So it makes it hard for me to keep track of all the crap that's going on. Mm -hmm. And it's like it's starting to sort of all come apart for me. It's interesting to think about. This is going to maybe be a little bit of a tangent. I don't know. But I wonder what this story would be like if it was being told 30 years ago before the internet before there were it was so easy to go online and people to put things like this together mm-hmm. yeah. because when brandon sanderson talks about his idea for the cosmere it was having these hints this kind of story behind the story but that the hints were not like each series is complete in and of itself. Mm-hmm. But if you read all of the series together, you would kind of put together this this common origin myth mm-hmm. that was like kind of going through all of them, but it was not meant to be discovered for like decades. You know, he wanted people like it was going to be like at the, when he finished writing, people would be like, "Oh, this is this whole." But yeah, of course, yeah. people figured it out. Yeah. And now, of course, now there's all these wikis and you can just go online and you can read it all and be like, oh, holy crap, that's awesome. But now we like when someone's reading it for the first time and and you are probably feeling like, like we're all like, when's Chad going to figure it out? But you're not really supposed to figure it out the first time Mm -hmm. you read it. So it's just, I, I don't know where I'm even going with that. I just, I think it's interesting how the time in which a story is told and the, and the technology and how people talk about it kind of shapes people, other people's experience of it. Yeah, I do think, I, I mean, I think these are books that certainly benefit from probably a reread and I can certainly see that and I can see, I can see how for certain readers that lends a, a, a high degree of appreciation for what he's doing. Uh, but me being the kind of person who rarely rereads a book, I want to be able, like, I want to enjoy the story the first time and not have all these, like, little, like, here's a hint at the grand mystery I'm going to tease that I'm not ever going to reveal to you. You know, like, mm-hmm. that stuff, it's okay until it gets distracting, mm-hmm. and it's kind of distracting at this point. Mm-hmm. I wonder if it's because of the, and again, we've talked about this before, but because of the way I'm reading it is different than anybody would intend right. a first-time reader to read it. I end right. up reading this stuff twice, taking notes and talk about it, and then editing the podcast. So I've gone over this material like five times right. before I start reading the next section. <laughs> and a lot of times, you know, when you're... You're reading and you're trying to pick up on hints and make predictions. And this stuff would, uh, the first time I read it, I just blew right past it. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. It does not, it did not affect, like, I'm just reading the story. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm not trying to figure things out because I didn't know there was anything to figure out. So that's interesting. Yeah. I definitely think that changes your perspective. Mm -hmm. So we also find out in this conversation that. The honor blade that Dalinar is, has and is hiding basically in a in a septic tank yeah. is a fragment of honor's soul. 
So we have the shards and then we have these these fragments, which are the honor blades. I also thought it was really sad that they're the best case scenario. Like if they their ultra win basically amounts to buying humanity a little bit more time. Like there's no destroying odium is not even on the table. It's impossible. Yeah, because it's it's an invisible force like entropy that right. just can't be stopped. Right. You know. Of course, of course, the problem with that in Brandon Sanderson's world is that we keep on we keep being given a set of facts that exist within a discrete reality, mm-hmm. and then keep being told that there's something beyond that discrete reality which impacts it or changes the rules. You know, we learn about the world, and then we learn about Shades Mar, and then you know, mm-hmm. we learn about this and then we learn about Adonalsium. We learn about the shards and then we learn about or uh, Sprend and we learn about Void Sprend. Like we always have these sort of yin and yang. And so when we get to the end, there's going to be something that's going to allow something else that exists outside that's going to change the rule set for us. Well, I hope so, because as it is, it's not looking too good. For sure. For sure. I mean, I have an idea of what I think, as it relates to Roshar, mm-hmm. is going to be the pivotal difference mm-hmm. this time around, but I'll talk about that in predictions. Can we agree that this uh, Rial guy, Ryle, however you say his name, a little bit creepy? Seems like Dalinar shouldn't be down here alone. <laughs> right. Seems like Dalinar... Shouldn't go anywhere alone. <laughs> Ever. I don't think he's meant to come off that way, but I totally can he see that. totally comes off. See, I almost <laughs> thought it was... See, I almost thought the opposite. I thought it was designed to be creepy to make you think, does this guy know what's going on with the murders? Well, I, I thought he more was meant to come off as like saucy and kind of like borderline disrespectful. Like you stupid light eyes don't know enough to come in from exactly, the rain. Exactly, exactly. Could be, yeah. He, I mean, he, you know, it's like a sentence. Like he's, right. he's barely on the screen. Right. So, you know, I'm clearly reading something into it. Yeah, I thought it was meant to be like, oh, look at Bridge 4, they're so plucky. Yeah. <laughs> oh, the Bridgemen. Oh, they think the high society's rules don't apply to them. <laughs> so then Dalinar has this conversation with the the leader of the Irali. Iriali? Iriali, yeah. I'm not sure if I'm saying it right. But as he's having this conversation via span read, he's also telling a story and wrestling a guy. Yeah, Dalinar's not immune to the Rocky syndrome. He totally. You walk out of the movie Rocky and you're like, I want to I want to wrestle in the parking lot. Let's have a boxing match. And right, yeah. He's completely not immune to it. Dalinar Nature Boy colon. Right. <laughs> like. Totally. Woo, brother! <laughs> but the story that he's telling is interesting, and it's where the title of the chapter comes from, and it's sort of the main, kind of one of the main themes of this part of the book that we, we talked about being set up in the last chapter. So I, I like how neatly that was done. But this idea of discussing the idea of tradition versus faith. Mm-hmm. And, you know, true religious belief versus, um, you know, cultural taboos and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And that's been a, 
one of Dalinar's main conflicts, especially as he's moved forward in his relationship with Navani, which there is a very strong cultural taboo against because she was married to his brother. There's nothing in their religion that forbids it. So they've gone ahead and done it anyway. Um, on top of that, he's also now claiming that the Almighty is not really God, yeah. that he was mm -hmm. a, a being who was killed. Yeah. Highly so, sacrilegious. Yeah. Uh, so we know that for the Alethi, this is, you know, their their traditions, their taboos are, are more important than their actual faith to mm -hmm. them. But he tells this story, and I love the story he tells about his uh, his fencing master or someone oh, with who, the, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. who told him, you know, was telling him the right way to tie his, his belt on his Takama, his mm -hmm. sort of battle skirt. And then he told him, you know, you have to tie it three times. And he would always be like, but it's so tight when you do it that way. Why? And, well, that's the way it's done. That's the best way to do it. And so mm -hmm. he just went on for years, just like yeah, yeah. cinching his belt super tight. And finally he decides he wants to find out why. So he finds his fencing instructor's instructor and then his instructor and finally he finds the guy who originally you know decided that you had to tie this belt three times and and he he asks him why and he says, stands up and he's really short yeah and he goes if i don't tie it three times it'll fall. i'll be stepping on i'll it. be stepping on it so he's like this this tradition that's been passed yep. down that he assumed was for a good reason is actually totally stupid absolutely and how many of those things are like that you know what it reminds me of mm -hmm. your grandmother's bread recipe you shut your mouth. <laughs> no, you're right. You're to that's totally fair. That's totally what it is, right? <laughs> I mean, listen, th that bread recipe is why we are together. It is. It is. I mean, it, it netted me a husband. That's right. There's power in traditions. <laughs> There's magic there. So, for the listeners at home, I I had been taught this bread recipe by my mom and I had been told for years that it was my grandmother's and that it was her mother's was the family bread recipe. And, but then one time we were actually, and, and by the way, all these rules to the recipe, you have to use this type of bowl and you have to wait exactly this amount of time. You do yeah. have to use this. There's all these like, we're not questioning the recipe. Oh okay. no, the recipe's good. It's just that it's elaborate. Yes. So I mean, you can only do it, you know, on an overcast day and you have to and you have to do it with a mel in a melancholy mood or it, otherwise it can't be very dry, the air can't be too dry. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, we're my mom and I were talking to to my grandmother about it. Oh, you know, your grandma Bell's bread recipe and you know, this and that and she's like, "No. I think I read that in Vanity I found that recipe in Vanity Fair." Yeah. <laughs> and we were like, "What?" what? Yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. It was 1967, <laughs> Vanity Fair. Uh, anyway. Three times. It's still my grandmother's bread recipe. Just <laughs> not my, you know, still makes good bread. It's great bread. It's exactly, <laughs> see, and see how you feel right now? That's how every Alethi feels. <laughs> I'll, I'm still going to wrap it three times. <laughs> Tell me what to do, Dalinar Colon. I broke a hip, brother. Because <laughs> Dalinar's getting old. He is. And he can't... He can't wrestle. He can't keep up with... No. ...all these youngins. You know? He gets he gets shown up. It's he interesting. Does. Yeah. I am also getting old. No. 
No, it's true. It's true. So maybe just on the outside. <laughs> just the just the wrapper. <laughs> he said waking waking up from his race car bed. <laughs> so I so I don't know if I can wrestle Dalinar or not. Probably not. Um considering he's a fictional character, but I'm definitely going blind. Full on going blind. So you were away last week mm-hmm. and I went out to dinner by myself and I'm sitting there in this restaurant eating dinner and this like woman sits down kind of like in eye shot of me like 10 or 15 feet away on the other side of the dining room um, like skinny blonde uh, woman and I don't realize that as I'm sitting there like this smudge of blonde over here. Like apparently I'm creepily staring at her, but I don't realize it because I'm not really staring mm-hmm. at her. She's just, a, you can't see her. Cause I can't see her. Right. Did you drive to this restaurant? I, I did. Yes. <laughs> I mean, I'm more concerned about you operating a motor vehicle. Cars are big and they have lights and, <laughs> It's the details. I can't read the license plate, but I know it's a car. (laughs) So I'm like, apparently I'm creepily staring at this woman. So much so that she gets up and walks over to me. And I'm like, I'm like, where is this going? Like, that's when I realize, oh, Mm -hmm. I must have been staring at Mm -hmm. her. Right. And she walks over to me and she says, what are you looking at, dude? It was a teenage boy uh-huh. with long hair. It wasn't even a woman. That's how blind I'm going. So what did you say to him? I didn't say anything. It's a made-up story. What? <laughs> I was really invested in that story. <laughs> no, I did go to a restaurant, and there was some like woman who was kind of sitting off in the periphery and I mm. was like I did realize that I was staring because she was blurry to me but then I turned away because I like so it was more of like awkward I, I'm sorry I got was, too invested in the story I yeah. have to completely ruin it for you <laughs> it wasn't you kind of made awkward eye contact and then and then I was like I'm gonna move over here and I moved to a different place so I wouldn't be she wouldn't be in my yeah. line of vision and then I just left the restaurant and then I thought wouldn't have been wouldn't it have been funny if I got up and walked past her and it wasn't even a woman. I worry about you. <laughs> My eyes is not that bad. Listen, it's not a podcast if I don't derail it at least once. It's true. Listen, we have a format so that I can derail things. That's why we have one. Chapter 17 is called Trapped in Shadows. Kaladin gets to know his Parshendi captors and is stunned by how human they seem. Kaladin and Syl try to figure out what is going on with that strange yellow spren who is leading them. Kaladin finally escapes his bonds, but rather than running away, he chooses to stay and help the Parshendi. So what's up with that spren, yo? I don't know, man. What is up with that spren? I don't know. Like this, I have very little to say about this chapter because it's just, it's kind of more, more mystery. I I do like, I do like 
the relationship with Kaladin and the Parshendi, mm-hmm. and I have a prediction about it, but there's there's not a whole lot I can not a whole lot I can really say short mm-hmm. of the prediction. Mm-hmm. Couple things I noticed: one, you've asked in past chapters several times about the Parshendi genders. Oh yeah, yeah. Where mm-hmm. do the what, are there baby Parshendi? What you know? Yeah, it hasn't been answered up until now. Kaladin is thinking about when he sees that there are children with them that he had heard about people breeding Parshendi and now we have kind of the answer to that question which also sidebar how awful is that yeah (laughs) yeah right really awful and especially as Kaladin starts talking to one of the Parshendi there and he talks about how he's lived his adult life in this complete and total fog and this feeling that something is wrong, but he can't do anything about it. Mm-hmm. He said, you know, he saw his wife once he had his child. His wife was taken away because she was obviously fertile. And he he knew that that was wrong, but he couldn't, he did not have the ability to advocate for himself or his family. Yeah. And how horrifying that was. And it's just, uh, it's, it's gut-wrenching to think about what these people went through and that Kaladin is now being forced to see them as people. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and it's interesting to me that Kaladin sort of tries to come at it from this woke perspective of like, I was a slave too. Mm -hmm. And it's like, well, yeah. And not minimizing your experience, Kaladin, Mm -hmm. but this is not the same thing. Right. Syl says to Kaladin, the storm must have healed them. She said their connection and identity has been restored. And then she says to him, when you conquered them, you stole their ability to change forms. But we know this isn't true. Yeah. Because we've heard from the listener's perspective, we know that they chose to give up their ability to change forms, that they took on the dull form as an escape from their gods and the only way that they could get away from them. So that's interesting bit of but I feel information like, that's not out there. Yeah, I feel like the Parshmen were imprisoned in this slave form. And it could be that the rising of the Everstorm has sort of broken that form. And just sort of... So what's happening with the Parshendi and storm form and war form and mate form is different um, and that these parchment, I'm going to just sort of call them parchment because they're not from the Shattered Plains. They're not the listeners from the Shattered Plains. Mm-hmm. These are escaped parchment from the different cities and areas, right? So what's happening to them, it seems like is different than what's happening to the listeners with their forms. Well, I think the difference is they're the same people. The listeners on the Shattered Plains had the songs so that they could remember their history. Yeah. The Parshmen in the in Alethkar and other countries were these are Parshmen. Obviously, they weren't the Parshmen who chose to give up the forms, mm-hmm. you know, however many thousands of years ago they were born into this form, but no one to explain to them why or what was going on. Yeah. So as far as they're concerned, they just woke kind of woke up. Yeah. Having no idea why. But it's just interesting that we know, you know. It wasn't actually anything that the Alethi did to them. Mm-hmm. It was something that they did to escape their their gods. Yeah. 
So we also have Syl here pretending to be a wind spren in order to escape the attraction, the attention of the yellow spren, who she says is a higher spren like her. Yeah, so it's, I guess the question is, is it a void spren or is it, is it a good spren or a bad spren? Like, you know. It seems to be Syl and Kaladin's opinion that it is void spren, but we don't really know. And at this point, it's, again, this theme of the rules are changing. Mm -hmm. We know that we are in book three of a 10-book series, so we know that the bad guys are probably going to change and and think, you know, things aren't aren't going to stay the same for, you know. Yeah. Well, and I think... 7,000 more pages. Well, and I think, (laughs) you know, you'd be... You'd have to really be ignoring things to think that the Parshman were somehow the enemy, right? Despite all the things that are, you know, the characters tell us out in right. the open, right? to think that the Parshman themselves on the ground are somehow the bad guys, you'd really have to be ignoring what you've read to this point, right? So if, if it's very clear that this is not a very, it's not as much a black and white thing, at least as it relates to the living creatures on Roshar. Maybe black and white out there in the greater Cosmere and the powers driving it, but at least on the planet, it's not that clear cut. Mm -hmm. So by that very same token, would you be shocked to learn that, quote, Voidspren maybe aren't, maybe that's not so black and white Mm -hmm. either? I, I absolutely wouldn't, but it's interesting to contrast what's going on here with what we saw happen in the Parshendi camp when Eshonai bonded that storm spren, the red lightning spren, because that certainly seems like an evil kind of spren. Yeah, and we correct. saw her yeah, yeah, yeah. losing herself. We saw her losing access to the, the rhythms of peace and, mm-hmm. and the other kind of positive emotions of her people. Yeah, and yeah. we saw her all of a sudden go from wanting to find peace with the Alethi to just wanting to wipe them out. Definitely some evil stuff going on there. So we know that that's in play somehow, but we don't know how it's going to relate to the Parshman as they are. Correct, yeah. Or are all, I mean, so it seems like, you know, the Spren are sort of a natural manifestation and the Void Spren are specifically related to odium mm-hmm. in some way, but are they all related to like? I, I don't know. We don't mm-hmm. know. We don't know enough about it to really, mm-hmm. to really know. So, chapter eighteen is called "Double Vision." Shalan, disguised as Vale, visits some rough taverns in the marketplace to find information about the murders. She's heard rumors that another suspicious death occurred in the rough part of town, so she downs some horn eater white and flashes her ghost blood cred to get the scoop. It turns out that there have been two killings recently, identical to each other, but completely different from Sadius's murder. The plot thickens here. It does. So what do we think of Shallan being a badass? She's not. What? She stabbed her own hand. Have you ever stabbed your own hand? N- not on purpose. <laughs> that was badass. She knows she can just heal herself. Right? I mean, yeah, but still. 
She stabbed her own hand. Because she had to, because she was so out of her element. (laughs) She thinks she's hard. She's rolling up in there being like, hey, boys, I'm not wearing a wire. Where can I score some of these drugs, the kids are calling it? (laughs) Do you guys know where I might be able to find any intoxicants? Please help us sister out. (laughs) So the other thing we learn in this chapter is that Brandon Sanderson has never been to a dive bar. I don't know if I've ever been to a dive bar. You've been to a dive bar. Have I? Yeah. Is it good that I don't remember it? The green door is a dive bar. No, it's not. Sure it is. You shut your mouth. It's a dive bar. It is not a dive bar. One time I went to a dive bar. I will say this. We walked in. My roommate and I walked into this bar. Oh, I've never seen that bar before. Let's go in there. We walked in. The bar, the bar was like facing the door. And there were like eight guys in motorcycle vests. Mm-hmm. Older guys sitting at it. They turned around as one, looked at us. And we looked at them. And one in the end said, you're in the wrong place. <laughs> and we said, yes, we are. And we left. So you've been to a dive bar. I've been to a dive bar. I certainly didn't go up and. Hey there. Order a horn eater white for sure. Because I was not badass enough. Right. I was like, am I the kind of person that would stab my own hand into the so- table? Give me a, you walk up there, you're like, give me a, uh, give me a vodka. Give me a, give me a mug of vodka. (laughs) A hot piping mug of vodka. That's what, come on, boys. Mugs, (laughs) Mugs of vodka for everybody. This is my seat. Anybody know where I can score any tequila? (laughs) <laughs> yeah i don't think brandon sanderson's been in, into a dive bar i'm sure i've taken you to a dive bar at some point i'm sure you have i i, I didn't mean for you to lose cred there <laughs> i've left that life behind <laughs> so one cute thing i i noticed was pattern talking about how he likes Adolin and I thought that was interesting because all of the high spren we've seen anyone who carries a shard blade is persona non grata I mean don't even talk to me about them they're dead to me Mm -hmm. pattern being a scholar is able to see past that prejudice and be like you know uh, I realize why it's not such a big deal for you to take the corpse of a of a friend of mine and swing it around by the feet I mean I mean What's a wooden club, if not a corpse, right? Exactly. So I I thought that was a neat little character development for Pattern. Yeah, it was an interesting observation they made. I don't think I've ever heard it put quite so succinctly that, oh, you you rely on things to die so you can live. And I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah, Yeah. I guess we do. (laughs) I guess we can. You were like, ew, no. Oh, Uh, wait. Yeah, yeah, no, 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 that's that's definitely true. (laughs) Even even vegetarians kill things. Uh And Shallan also asks Pattern not to leave her. There have been a couple of times where Pattern has said, it's all right, you know, 
I know you hate me. Eventually I'm going to die and then, you know, or I can leave. And she, so this is an important step in their relationship. She's working on coming to terms with what happened with her mother. And she tells Pattern that she does not want him to leave. So what's up with that murder, yo? I don't know. We got something going on outside of uh, Eurothero as well. And it seems like, it seems like, you know, the, the same MO and it seems like they're in different places where it would have been very difficult for, I uh, maybe not difficult, but it's just interesting that they're, you know, one is in like a very isolated part high up in the tower. One's like down in the like town that's forming around the tower. Like, um, but I almost get this sense that like, like what's going on or whatever's motivating these murders and particularly the way they're happening in the exact same fashion isn't like a single person, but like some sort of like malevolent force that sees that there was some, some, you know, psychic residue left behind by this huge violation that Adolin made that mm-hmm. is somehow manifest and mm. is replicating the crime in different mm. ways. Like, I don't, I, I mean, obviously it, I don't think that like a spren took ghostly form and started stabbing bitches in the eye. Mm-hmm. I, I, I think it's a human doing it, but I think it's going to have some sort of metaphysical force behind it. I don't think it's going to be as obvious mm-hmm. as somebody being like, I heard they found Sadius this way. And I thought that was really badass. So I, <laughs> You know, I, I don't think it's as obvious as a copycat crime, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, I I think that's a really astute speculation. So we've got two sets of identical murders. We had the, the, high, the Pie Prince who was found after Sadius mm-hmm. in the exact same position, same wounds. Then you had this woman who was killed by her husband. And then... Shortly thereafter, another barmaid was killed in the exact same way with the same wounds. Neither of them similar to Sadius, but the two women were killed. And in fact, the marks of his ring were found on the second woman's neck as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Completely identical. So, yeah, Yeah. quite a mystery. Yeah, I don't think it's somebody going around and being like, I just can't wait for somebody to murder somebody so I can go and recreate it. Mm -hmm. Like... Like, I feel like this is a much more uh, metaphysical thing that's going on. But what it is, I have Mm -hmm. no idea. I do have a prediction about it that I think is wrong, Mm -hmm. but it's one of those, eh, I'm going to swing for the fences anyway. Mm -hmm. So we'll get to that. All right. Chapter 19 is called The Subtle Art of Diplomacy. It's a Dalinar flashback, and we finally meet Evie, Dalinar's ex. She and her brother fled Rira with a set of stolen shard plate, which they are willing to trade the Alethi if they can prove they are strong enough to protect them. Dalinar inadvertently proves their strength by walking in a high storm and then killing an assassin at the table. He agrees to marry Evie in return for the shard plate. Damn it, Dalinar just wanted to eat his pork. I know. <laughs> all the dude ever wanted. That's all the dude was ever his wanted. his knife back. Right? <laughs> Dalinar colon of the popped collar. 
<laughs> Seems like such a very different character in this flashback. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, in all the flashbacks, you're, you know, and you, you know, obviously it's it's much later, but like his character seems so incredibly different. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not even close to the same character. The other thing I thought was uh, this Evie character reminds me of um, one of the Gelflings. Mm. Like, yeah. I, I don't know why. You get strong Gelfling vibe mm-hmm. from uh, from Evie. Yeah, I get that as well. But I love Dalinar in this chapter. You know, how he like just walks out into the high storm. There's boulders crashing by him everywhere. Things flying at him. Yeah. And he just walks into the other barracks. And he's like... And he bursts in and everyone's like, who the hell is walking around out there? And he just goes, tell him, did I lend you my belt knife? Yeah, yeah. What? No. I mean, it definitely defines him sort of as the, it, it helps you to better see the the Blackthorn. Like, yes. And that sort of like, you know, character and how he can build up a this legacy around him and you're, mm-hmm. you're getting that through all these flashbacks, but um, it's also just remarkable how different his character is. Yeah. And it, you, it helps you understand the reactions that other characters have to him as well, especially in the Dalinar that we met initially, who is wanting to talk about peace, wanting to talk about, you know, leadership and government and all this kind of stuff and how people are like, and Sadius in particular. Yeah. That, yeah, that's what I was going to say. And Sadius, his reaction to him in these flashbacks has been, oh, you're a treasure, Dalinar. Never change. I love you. Obviously, he changed. And it expl- helps to explain why Sadius in The Way of Kings reacts to him mm-hmm. so strongly. Now, mm-hmm. it, not that it justifies mm-hmm. the way Sadius behaved, but it helps you to understand why Sadius is so skeptical and put off mm-hmm. by Dalinar's, but and untrusting. Mm-hmm. Like, w- how would you trust somebody who spent you know forty years of their life behaving one way, and then very suddenly mm-hmm. t- turns and starts saying, "No, trust me, do this. Trust me, do that." Mm-hmm. I, you know, it, it it puts his behavior a little bit more into perspective. Mm-hmm. One little sort of. Side note, as he's walking back through the high storm after not finding his belt knife, he's, he sees a gargantuan figure walking on spindly glowing legs. Yeah, what's so that was that kind of about? interesting. Yeah. Just, just another, this is not the first time we've heard about glowing figures walking around during high storms. Yeah, correct. And then he gives it the finger and goes back inside. But how does he not, like, how does that not come up? Like, how does he not file that away and be like, I saw something really weird. Like, I, I mean, maybe to a Roshar and it's not really weird. But then there's no backstory or no, how can that be? Mm-hmm. Like, how can that even be? I, I mean, Kaladin saw one and didn't say like, like, I think Roshar is just a place where you see, I mean, there's a giant spren that sticks its head up out of the ocean and spins. I mean, uh, fair point. in some places. Okay. So, it's not yeah. on her. It's not like it would be here if you saw a giant figure on glowing spindly legs walking around. No, we we see a meteor and people are like, it came down on three legs, and it took my cows. <laughs> 
So then Dalinar comes back inside, and this is just a great scene where an assassin is going to kill his his brother, and he takes the knife from him, jams it through his chest. Well, it's so the the my favorite part is the assassin's coming at him, and Dalinar sees it. Nobody else, of course, sees it. And the way he gets Gavilar out of the way oh, yeah. is he kicks the legs out from under his chair. So he's not, <laughs> you know, so when the assassin goes to lunge for him, mm-hmm. he's not not in the same spot. So I thought that was pretty badass. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then he rinses the assassin's blood off in his wine and then uses the knife to eat his pork. You're going to get an infection. <laughs> You're going to get hepatitis, man. Right. <laughs> Chapter 20 is called Cords to Bind. Kaladin trains the Parshendi in survival skills. He realizes that he has put himself in an impossible position. War between humans and Parshendi seems inevitable, and he has placed himself square in the middle. So we see the development of this new conflict. So, so far, we've had a very traditional fantasy setting conflict. We have a, a villain who is literally named Odium. I mean, <laughs> I in case you're wondering who the bad guy is, <laughs> you've got these these people who are being controlled by red lightning spren that tells them to kill everything. Okay, no worries there. But now we see this much more human conflict arising between the Parshendi, who Kaladin is realizing are just like him, and the the people who have enslaved the Parshendi for thousands of years. Yeah. So it's an interesting development. We're moving away from this very black and white conflict, which is still going on, mm-hmm. but then there's all these other people who are being drawn into it who don't want any parts of it, really, but because of how they look and who they are... It's, it's gonna inescapable. Con- it absolutely. Well, the other thing I think that's interesting about this is that it all, everyone seems to also be converging on Kolinar. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the part, like they're moving towards this other area. And we know that there was like a riot going on and the queen was there and the king's going there and Dalinar's going there and all the part, like there's so you have this human conflict uh human sort of you know conflict that you mentioned uh, with Kaladin struggling to understand you have this greater conflict you have this sort of uh geographical conflict and then you have all these things converging mm-hmm. into this one place so it, it seems very clear to me that in this novel Kolinar is going to be very pivotal in some way. There's going to be some large conflict there. It definitely seems like that's where things are heading. Yeah, absolutely. Do you have predictions about that? I do. But it's not time for predictions yet. Oh. First, we have listener interactions. Yay! So the first one I have is actually from Twitter, where uh, Ryan Fenrick says, who is at Fenny and the Jets, says, lightsabers equals shard blades, change my mind. I can't. That's what I said. I can't change my mind. I mean, I think, sh- I think the mythology, and- unless there's more mythology around lightsabers than, I, than I'm aware of, I definitely, you definitely know way more about Star Wars than I do. 
but I don't think the mythology behind lightsabers is anything like it is behind shard blades. Lightsabers are just a a technology with that are really really cool. I mean, yes, I would say lightsabers are definitely mostly a technology. Um, the sort of mythology behind them was, I feel like it was expanded a little bit more in the, the latest trilogy. But no, it's its definitely, there's there's no question of lightsabers having souls or anything like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, they're kind of, there's a holy substance that that makes them possible. But but yeah, it's not a... Not quite the same, but still, the idea of like the 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 magic swords that are carried by the righteous knights is, is well, absolutely yeah, and the fact that you know lightsabers are are pretty much weightless and cut through just about everything, right? Yeah, and, yeah, all that stuff. You know, yeah. So absolutely, yeah, definitely way more way more similarities than uh, than contrast there for sure. We agree, Ryan. We are not going to try to change your mind. All right, we have other questions from our Facebook group page. Lissandra Johnston says, if you could choose an Order of the Knights Radiant to be a part of, uh, including getting their powers, which would you choose and why? Sorry if this has been asked before, uh, and it has, and that's okay. I don't think we knew as much about them at the time. I feel like I would want the healing powers, so I wouldn't mind being an edge dancer. Mm. Um, I don't know what the truth was. Like I would say, I think the truth, the truth watchers might be kind of cool. Um, that's what Renarin is. And I know yeah, yeah. he's got the healing, but his other power seems like it freaks him out. So I don't know, but I would probably pick one of those too. Well, I would, I, I don't remember what I said last time. I suspect I said light weavers, mm-hmm. uh, but I would still choose light weavers. In fact, now that I know that there's a, a vocal imitation part mm-hmm. of it? Oh, forget it. That's, I mean... Oh my gosh, you could do any imitation you wanted. Uh, no. Perfect imitation. No, I could do Christopher Walken. That's what I'm saying. All day long. You could just be long. Christopher Walken. All, all day long. Yeah. Impressions, that's the word I was looking for. Yeah, right? I mean, how could I not want to be a light weaver? Thea Graham Brown says, I pointed this out in, in my discussion as a possible plot hole, a different thread, uh, but I am assured it is not. So it seems from all that we have heard that the Everstorm has only freed the Parchment from their bondage, but not turned them into Voidbringers. However, when Lift makes Darkness see what is happening, uh, Edge Dancer specifically describes the Parchment left out in the storm as having glowing eyes. It doesn't say they're red, but glowing eyes of any color doesn't seem like a trait the Parshendi slash Parshman have at all. So if you've not already covered this in your predictions, what do you think is behind this? So apparently in Edge Dancer, there was reference to the Parshman who got left out in the storms as all having glowing eyes when the Everstorm passed through. Which, frankly, I, d- I don't remember, um, but I, I would not discount to that. Yeah, there's no question that some Parshmen were changed into storm form Parshendi. It seems like but it. But not yeah. all of them. Yeah, it, se- it seems like that. But And again, I can't tell why or what would differentiate them. Because as you said, some of them seem to have been, but it seems like most of them, particularly most of the ones that Kaladin hears about, mm-hmm. just were released from their bondage. Right, though when we look back on the chapters 
where we, you know, where we saw inside Eshonai's head and she was talking about the process of transformation, she talked about how chaotic it is and that it involves going out into a storm and hoping to attract the right kind of spren to you. So it could be that some were in the presence of those red lightning sprens and got bonded to them and some weren't. Yeah. But that in any case, all of the Parshmen were healed of their inability to change forms. Also, we even know from what happened out on the Shattered Plains that not all the Parshendi out there changed into void form either. Most of them, but there were some Parshendi who did not change into the uh, void form. Because it was a whole contingent, remember, that left, mm-hmm. that snuck out and left. So I'm going for that as the explanation. Yeah. I don't have anything better. I, I don't. I don't think it's a. Pl- I don't think it's a plot hole. I think no. it's too obvious a one for Brandon Sanderson to have left. He, uh, if he spent more time in dive bars, he might make that mistake. But mm-hmm. clearly, that has not happened. Theo also says, I just want to make one thing very clear for the podcast. No mating. (laughs) That's for the other podcast. Jen Nagel asks, who do you imagine voicing Pattern? I can't decide if I'd like Alan Tudyk better as Pattern or Wendell. Theo Graham Brown likes Anthony Daniels for for Wendell, and I can definitely get behind that. Also, just how precious is Pattern? Given Dalinar's conversation with Kadash, how obvious is the author's faith background as a Protestant? What do you think of the discussions of faith in Roshar? I'm feeling a lot of parallels with Earth's European Reformation here. here. Absolutely agree with that. I I think there's a a lot of very um, subtle comments about faith uh, throughout this book and some not so subtle yeah yeah but this is this again and we talked about this a bit in the podcast this was a, a I, I thought a really nice exploration of the importance of balancing tradition versus faith and and people being aware and informed about their faith and not just relying on dogma i think brandon sanderson does a very good job as somebody who has been extremely open about his faith, of of allowing his writing to discuss elements of faith without dogmatically sticking to his own faith as the sole point of view. Mm-hmm. So I, I think he's done a good job about uh, with that overall, and I think that's probably as much as I would want to go into uh, because we try not to get overly bogged down into the political or, or mm-hmm. religious elements of things. So um, so the other, so the last thing I'll say on it is Alan Tudyk. As which one? Oh, sorry. Uh, pattern. Interesting. See, I, now this is going to be controversial. This is even more controversial than talking about the Mormon thing, I think. But <laughs> I always thought of Alan Tudyk, and he, we all know he's got to be cast somewhere. Clearly, um, but yeah. as Wendell, but I always heard Jim Parsons as Pattern. Oh God! You know what? I, I mean, you, you just convinced me. <laughs> I, I 
I'm not a fan of the Big Bang Theory, but just his voice and the the voice work that he did in the movie Home. Yeah, yeah. I, that's just who I hear. As yeah, Adam. no, yeah, you you won me over. Yeah, mm-hmm. and all right, I'm gonna. I don't care what this does to our podcast ratings. I don't care what this does Uh-oh. to our nerd cred. Oh Lord, I like the Big Bang Theory. <laughs> what? I did. I mean, listen, it's not like great. It's all. It's also not like representative necessarily of nerd culture, but it like it was all right. Okay, it was all right. I mean, I watched some episodes. I know you did. Um, and in the beginning, I, I oh, it went off the rails. No, I'm totally. It, it was not yeah. offensive, but I think it got just more and more bogged down in like the same jokes over and over, and it just got so like. Well, it went on about five years too long. Yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, I I loved um, Mayim Balik's character. Oh and yeah, her in general, she's pretty awesome. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I think it gets too much flack from the nerd community. Stop being so uptight. Stop being so precious. I mean, okay, you're I'm, right. I'm inciting a riot. Hey, you know, p- people out there might agree with you. I, I and what am I always telling the kids when they're snobby to each other? Don't be a gatekeeper. Don't be a gatekeeper. People can like what they like. Right, absolutely. Right? I think if you're um I think you're expecting too much of a television sitcom. I think you're asking too much. What? I'm sorry. We're getting derailed. Theo Graham Brown says, uh, finally, really enjoyed this, but I thought that the bit at the end of the veil section was hella clunky. Why wouldn't they just tell her up front about the other murder? And even if not, why just have a big, loud discussion she overhears in a big old tropey style? For me, it just really stood out as a piece of less than good writing because of the rest of the section rock. I'm telling you, that's because Brandon Sanderson... The only alcohol he's ever drank is the blood of Christ. <laughs> oh, for the line, Duke. He's ne- like, he, this is not his element. Like, you know. It does. It did remind me a bit of that scene in Labyrinth where she's talking to the worm. I don't know how many times you've seen Labyrinth, but it might be less than 527, which is how many times I've seen Labyrinth. But she's, do you, do you know the scene I'm talking uh, about? No, I don't. I don't recall. No, I'm just a worm. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's like, not that way. Yeah, yeah, right. You'll never get out that way. And she's like, okay, thanks. And then she goes the other way. And he's like, oh, if she'd have kept going down that way, she'd have gone straight to their castle. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, it's like after she leaves. Yeah, yeah. Susan King says, what do you think of this theory? The Parshendi that that captured Spren during the high storm are the Voidbringers and have the glowing eyes. The Parshman, of course, didn't, so no glowing eyes. I think that's similar to what we were kind of talking about. Yeah. Susan King also says, what is Kaladin going to do with the Parshman? And Eric Allgaier says, no mating. Please, God, no. Oh, geez. Then Susan King says, what do you think about Dalinar's situation with his wife? And Eric Allgaier says, okay, some mating. Some mating, some mating. That's allowed. Yes, this is allowed. This is Put a ring on it. <laughs> Susan King also says, here's a tinfoil one for you. Renarin is really Gavilar's child. That's what and why Dalinar doesn't remember. Uh, wow, that's weird, yeah. Mm-hmm. 
I thought if there's any possibility of any of that happening, it would be that Yasna was Dalinar's child. Mm. I think we kind of ruled that out, though, didn't we? Yeah, I feel like we did. I think all the kids belong to who they, you think they belong to. Brian McClure says, what do you think of, what were your first impressions of Dalinar's wife? Gelfling. 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 Yeah. All right. He also asks, what's up with that strange spren leading the parchment? I think we've asked that several times as well. Yeah, we yeah we still want no 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 answers. He also says, "What were the strange creatures in the high storm?" Oh, he also asks, "What are the void bringers planing?" Not what are they planning, but what were they planing? There's wood in there. They're I carving think out. You a, know what he meant. I know what he meant, but I it's don't have anything to throw over here except a book. <laughs> but it's you so can't. You better sell. behave. <laughs> They're planing timbers to build a boat so they I can get the fuck out of here. I don't have any soft objects over here Listen, that I can chuck at your. Head. I answered both of his questions. What are they planning? And what are they planing? They're planing wood so they can plan to build a boat to get the fuck out. There's a whole other continent. That nobody knows about <laughs> off the shore, and they're trying to get off the island. That was a legitimate answer. Mm-hmm. They stole boats down in Terravan- down in Carboranth, mm-hmm. right? There was a thing we used to say when we were kids about say that that was a smart way of saying that you're a smartass. It was something about sitting on an ice cream cone, but I can't <laughs> remember what it was. Butter pecan. <laughs> All right. He also says, what is your favorite quote from this section? No mating. I mean, no mating, but then he and Jen Nagel went back and forth and said, you might want to ask, other than no mating. Oh, yeah, that's what not your fair. Quote? Uh, there was one other funny thing that Pattern said, where Shalon says to him, just watch us and make sure we don't do anything inappropriate. And he says, Inappropriate? Like dividing by zero? Yeah. God. <laughs> That's a nerd joke. Oh, Bransan. Oh, my goodness. Uh, so, okay. So, if I can't say no mating, um, did you take my belt knife? Oh, yeah. Tell him, did you take my belt knife? I'm sorry. That is hilarious. That's a hilarious scene. It's good. It's good. Yeah. Brian also says, uh, Shalon creating more subversions of herself. Is that something you expect her to do more of? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, and if you could create subversions, uh, subpersonalities, would you? And if so, what would they be? So I wouldn't want to create subversions of myself unless I can somehow split myself off as a clone to go do like my the, the stuff that I don't want to do. Like that, I would do. Find find me a knight's radiant who can clone themselves and then make their clone go do all the stuff that they don't want to do. That's that's what I'm up for. That's what I'm signing up for. I mean, for me as a woman, when I read about Shalon's powers, all I can think of this is the thing that I've been dreaming about for years, which is a a real world. Snapchat filter that can go with you anywhere. (laughs) What my first thought is, I will never have to wear mascara again. (laughs) 
I mean, you know, what I would think is that I can finally walk around at six foot six until, <laughs> you know, until somebody goes to kiss me on the cheek and like they just <laughs> wash right through my head because right. it's not really there. According to the Stormfather, Brian says, Odium is always angry and does not change. Do you think he is simply angry at everyone or has his wrath found focus on a particular person or group of people? I don't know. I still think of Odium as entropy, as a force of entropy. And I sort of feel like it's not that Odium has Odium has an avatar. It's that Odium chooses a champion. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't think, I, I think of Odium almost not as even being a personality, mm-hmm. as just being a malevolent f- force that still has to abide by the rules of, mm-hmm. quote, physics on Roshar. Right. Brian McClure says, will Dalinar's heresy create more problems for him in the future? Uh, yes. Uh, ch- check box, box yes. Mm-hmm. And I think... Th- I think we're, you know we're laying the groundwork for mm-hmm. this with the with the radiance. Um, t- to this point, you know Dalinar's, fl- you know uh, sacrilege has been tolerated, mm-hmm. uh, but now, but he's also not really been. He's been an influential person, but not really had any official title. Mm-hmm. But now he's like the king of Urethiru. He's got a bigger target on his back, and um, yeah, I would I would expect that this would become more of an issue as time mm-hmm. as time goes forward. Will using the ghost blood symbol have unforeseen consequences? It should. It should, and that was what I was thinking. Like, no, 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 don't. What are you doing? Mm-hmm. Uh, but I'm gonna I'm gonna say I don't think it will. I hope I'm wrong. Mm-hmm. Madsen Sparler says, almost caught up with the podcast. All my cousin's babies have faces. Quit <laughs> bragging, Duchess. I forgot about that. <laughs> Good one. Well, welcome. Welcome, everybody. Yep. And welcome to all of our new listeners. Are you guys ready for some predictions? Predict it. All right. All right. Prediction the first. K dash. Is the murderer? Whoa! I know. Right. I know what's wrong. I'm swinging for the fences. It could be right. I like it. Swing away. Swinging. All right. Prediction: the second. Adolin will have to confess to his crimes, or else no spren will bond to him. Hmm. So he's going to have to get caught, confess something. Mm-hmm. Or else he's not going to be able to be a Knight's Radiant. All right. Which leads me to believe that he'll get caught or confess before the book is up. This is sort of my bigger picture thing that I hinted at when we were in, I think, chapter 17. Mm -hmm. Developing a piece of some sort with the Parshendi or the fragment of the Parshendi that are not Voidbringers is going to be key to Roshar surviving this desolation. Mm-hmm. Every time in the past there's been uh, some sort of, you know, compl- just black, white, complete destruction, I think it's going to be that ability for them to 
not see the Parshendi as just evil and black and white that's going to allow them to win Mm -hmm. this time. Prediction the fourth. I think Eshenai is going to be the champion that fights Odium. Oh, snap. All right. So that means turned away from the Voidbringers and then turned to good to eventually fight Odium. All right. I could also make an argument for Eshenai being Odium's champion as mm-hmm. well. Um, and then Yasna. Where does Yasna show up is my last prediction. So I believe it was Susan who said that Yasna is going to show up in Ter- in Teravangian's contingent, mm-hmm. which I think is a, a really good, a really, really good uh, prediction. Uh, but because I don't want to double dip, I'm going to say Yasna, who we know is alive, shows up in Kolinar. Mm. So when uh, when Elikar and when Kaladin finally make it there, Yasna will be there. I like it. Those are my predictions. I like those predictions. You got anything else? I got nothing else. All right, you can find us on the Duke and Duchess Podcast.com. You can find us on Twitter at the DND Podcast. Look for us on Facebook at the Duke and Duchess or join our Facebook group page at facebook.com slash groups slash the DND group. You can find us on all the social medias. The Goodreads pages is gaining in activity uh, on you can also find us on Reddit, Instagram, etc., just by searching for the Duke and Duchess podcast. Good night, everybody. Good night. to get into the right headspace for this i mean i have to stop thinking about fruit flies you might okay. so what what's the one important thing we learn from king killer chronicle right there's power there's power in names right sure okay you don't believe me? I mean, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Go for it. All right. So listen, I want you to repeat after me. Inky Binky Boodle Hops. Inky Binky Boodle Hops. That's your name now. <laughs> what happened to Sex Panther? That was a much cooler name. Sex Panther is your middle name. Everyone knows that. <laughs> Your name is Inky Binky Boodle Hops Sex Panther Puddle Stomp. <laughs> so listen. Feel different? I, absolutely. I go by Panther for short. <laughs> well, you'd have to with a name like that. <laughs> so listen, how, how do you feel knowing I have all of this on tape? That is an interesting piece of information. Any, uh... Does that change your point of view at all? (laughs)
Is there power in names now? Absolutely. How does it feel knowing you're never going to get to be president? <laughs> president Sex Panther <laughs> reporting for duty. Ooh, President Sex Panther. Ooh. You could press my big red button any day. <laughs>